The following episode of Swing Thoughts is brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, the number one driver in golf, and um, all other drivers who just stop. Also brought to you by Clublink. There's never been a better time to join Clublink now that winter is finally here. Now that it's really cold. That sweet sound is the voice of uh, the mental performance coach, Tim Bartholomew O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy O'Connor Jr., Timberly O'Connor Esquire. What is your middle name? We asked the other time. Alan. 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 Okay, that is not like Tim and Todd. Howard Glassman is the uh, host of uh, the Humble and Fred Show, heard uh, every day around North America on Sirius XM, and of course, my alter ego, golf spiritual leader. Golf spiritual leader is here. GSL. GSL. All right. Uh, what a show today. Our guest is a uh, longtime golfing professional. And um, there's so much to say about this guy. But um, Todd Graves will be with us in about 60 seconds after we clean up some of this uh, nonsense at the beginning. You okay? You look Great. good, Ma. You know, how is it you're, you're nearly, um, I don't know what you are, like 80? But you're, uh, you're an old man. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, oh, you look great. Oh, no, thank you. You look amazing. You've got, uh, you look like you work out all the time. You're b- bulked up. Hmm. Are you uh, taking any human growth hormone? What is going on with you out there? No, in, if I peed in, uh, in a bottle, uh, if I peed in a bottle, it would, I don't know what it would show up, but I think I'd be okay. Um, gosh, just, uh, I, I saw my trainer yesterday, Brooke Benny, who works with the, uh, with the golf team, and uh, we're moving some things around. Yeah, I work out. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. And I got to go see Honksberger again. What's Hon- his name? Kevin. Kevin Hansberger. Hansberger. Yeah. Is it Hansberger? Yes, it is. Yeah, I got to go see him again. Yeah, he's now that the season. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that would help me? Because I literally have pain. I got to talk to Todd Graves about this. I have pain in. I don't know if you any of you have kids, but there's this kids uh, little thing that goes head and shoulders, knees and toes. Remember yeah. that? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's every everything in that song hurts. All my shoulders, my elbows, my back, obviously, my left knee, and my uh, right foot. Wow, Todd, lean in here. You know yeah. a lot about this body Todd, stuff. Todd, uh, Todd Graves, on? everybody. Todd Graves. Hey, Todd. Well, I think you guys are just old. That is a very good point. No, he's right. We're I just old. Want any truth? We're just supposed to be entertaining. You know, Todd, oh. I was uh, involved with a slightly younger woman for quite a long time, and she said to me one day, "She goes, honey, Uh-oh. why don't you ever, uh, Uh-oh. why don't you ever um, tell me when something hurts?" And I said, "Because we'd never be talking about anything else." <laughs> and what would we do about it? And yeah, exactly. <clears throat> In fact, on the same lines, I, I was talking to my buddy. He's the uh, former uh, Leaf doctor. Guy named Michael Clarfield. Oh, yeah. This was a couple of years ago. I said, I don't know, you know, this thing in my shoulder. I said, What do you think about it? He goes, Just live with it. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was his advice. He goes, I don't know. We could we could do something, but he said, you know, it would just never end. They got this thing called Advil. Yeah. Um yeah. for a long time, Todd Graves has been studying and teaching and uh, you know, working on uh, on the, this great game that we love. And and most recently Helped our friend Tim O'Connor with the re-editing, reissue of one of the greatest golf books ever written. Whoa. Um, you know, since uh, the very first one, Jesus on Golf. <laughs> 
But the new book is called The Feeling of Greatness, uh, and one of the greats uh, is with us, Todd Graves. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody. I, I, I agree with that. I agree it's one of the greatest golf books, and I'm not biased about it either. No, not at all. <laughs> no. I think, but, but, but it's, thank you. it's such a great story. You know, I mean, I, think, I can't think, and I, and I tell people this all the time, I cannot think of a better story in golf than Mo Norman even today. I wish, there, I wish there was one, to be honest with you, but there's just not. And why do you say it's such a great story? Well, I mean, you have this, this guy, and, you know, part, part of what, what you know, Tim's done in the book and what I try to do is, is propagate Mo's legacy. And if you look at his legacy, it's just so rich. His legacy is so rich of just uh, not only stories about him, which the book goes into so much, but it, it's also the fact that he's this amazingly great golfer that I would call a genius of the game that really no one really got to know because of his reclusiveness and and for many reasons and so you have this this guy who's just so interesting and uh and we're still trying to figure out more about him we're still you know we still try to figure out what what made him tick and and uh the book just is so good at at bringing him um into people's homes and and this character he's just a great story yeah well one of the things about mo is that if you really look at it's the he could be a golfer he could be a a painter um you know a business person but he overcame such incredible odds to to succeed in the world i mean he had most life was bittersweet yes he's the best ball striker who ever lived i mean that's quite amazing but mo had a lot of pain in his life so i think that's part of what that why this story resonates with so many people it's it's as they say it transcends golf yeah, you know, um, I don't know, Howard, if you know um, what we're got, we have going on in the next year or so, but I've been working. Tim's book has inspired me to do a documentary that, that's kind of following up on the book, and we're coming you know, to Canada actually next week to do a, a lot of interviews for the documentary. And one of the things about the documentary is, is we, we don't want just people who, who you know cared about Mo and thought he was a great guy. We also want to find... The rest of the story, you know, people that maybe didn't like Mo, you know, those stories are out there as well. So we're 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 trying to get a documentary that just tells the picture of who this guy was. So it just it number one, it just it can be a part of history, and I think it's important. Um, here's what we're gonna do, Todd. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, can we call you back on another line? Because I think that cell uh, connection that we have with you is warbling a little bit. Like the odd, and we can hear you. I just think since we're going to talk for the next 20, 25 minutes, let's try and get the best audio we can. So do you want to call him back or should we call Todd back on another number? Or Todd, why don't we try this? Can you write down our um, our one eight five five number? Okay, go ahead. It's one eight five five six six two four seven four three. And call back on. Um, do you have a, a, a home phone? This is this is the, the home phone. Yeah, well, call back funny. again. Maybe we just got a, like a warbled line here. It's one eight five five six six two four seven four three, and um, we'll just uh, kind of you know shoot the sh- just shit a little bit while you uh, call us back. We'll make stuff okay. up. Sounds good. Thanks, Todd. Right. That's Todd. He's a good boy. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I want to tell everyone if you're a golfer and you haven't picked up the feeling of greatness, the re-edited one. We've talked about it on the show. It's got about another 100 pages. It's got a bunch of other stories, a bunch of perspective. I did uh, talk with Todd at your book launch. Oh, yeah. Had a nice, ch- a ch- had a nice chat with him. 
Uh, I mean, he was talking about this documentary. The problem with the, the Mo Norman story is that it happened in a vacuum. It happened outside the world of, you know, social media, whatever. Because, um, hey, Todd. I'm on back. Oh, yeah, oh, baby. Oh, yeah. That's better. I was talking about the fact you and I spoke at Tim's book launch about this documentary. And I was saying that the interesting thing about, there's so many aspects of Mo's story. But it happened in, in, a, in a lot of ways in a vacuum. And it's guys like you and Tim and others that are sort of bringing this story. And as you say, it's a fascinating look inside the mind of an athlete and somebody that basically flew under the radar and is considered one of the best at this crazy sport ever. And yet most people don't know about him. You know what I find interesting about the documentary? Because I'm a lot on the business side of it. And, and it's so inter- people are so interested in seeing this thing happen. And it's it's um, it's actually surprised me because I thought I thought it was just me and Tim and a few others that were so interested in it. But <laughs> but it is so it, it's amazing to me how many people just really uh, love the idea and love the character of Mo Norman and what he what he kind of represents for us. And I think that's that's a worthy exploration of of um, how in, how how we find these people fascinating guys like Mo and how we we're inspired by them. I think that's a big part of it. I'm inspired by it. Yeah, well, I, it reminds me of a conversation you and I had uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we we're talking about you know, what are the th- why do we get into stories, and a lot of the times it's the human spirit, it's the challenge that people face, and how do they deal with them? It, it's that type of thing. So, but you look at golf, and a lot of stories are well, uh, good junior golfer came from a prosperous uh, white family, usually uh, went to college, uh, won a couple tournaments, went into PGA and oh, one more tournaments. Just not that exciting because <laughs> there's just yeah, no, everyone has like their ups and downs for sure when you really look underneath. But most story is just it just has so many different elements in it. Well, and, it's, and when when you think about stories, you know, I'm trying to write my own story, and I'm just not an interesting enough person to be to fascinate myself. But <laughs> when you try to write stories, it's it's the it's the it's the drama that makes the story to me. It's it's the it is the the underdog. It's the mm-hmm. it's the heartbreak. It's all those things that make the story. It's overcoming some of those things, and Mo, Mo has it all. I mean, that story of Mo just it's all in there. And uh, people, I think people should know it because it, it's it really is inspiring. You know what Mo's story has? Mo's story has that uh, every great story has is something called the hero's quest, and it's it's a. It's a literature device. It's in every story you've ever... The Hero's um, Journey. By, the Hero's from, Journey, uh, right. Joseph Campbell. But it's, it's the idea, and in, in Mo's case, the hero of the story is such an unlikely candidate. It's, it's hard not to cheer for him, but it's also hard not to be a little bit, in, not intimidated, but a little bit... It's not, it's not this cut and dried, as you said. It's not a kid that went to university and then he got all this... Ed- He's a guy that, you know, traveled around with his stinky turtleneck and his golf clubs in his trunk and drank 80 Cokes a day and didn't fit into the, the, the art archetype of golfers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Oh, Todd, you, uh, you want to riff on that? Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, you know, I think about most story and it's like, there's parts of him that I want to be just like, and then there's parts I don't want to be like. Yeah. And so, so he is a hero in a lot of ways to me, but I also felt sorry for him in a lot of other ways. So it, it's got all that to me that um, you, you want to know, you know, how, what made him tick, 
and was it that part that made it that that it's just the uniqueness of of the story as well and um i mean what's inspirational about it to me in in that hero's journey idea is that it was very unlikely that he that he but but he also did it what he said his way and i kind of want to know what his way was because maybe that there's some um there's some gems of of uh information in there and also some things that we can learn from and that's what i find very interesting as well yeah well i remember when i first met him i uh i had been doing some columns some different stories on him but i've i'd actually never met the man and I got an assignment to do uh, a magazine story for him. So it meant going down to Florida and, and meeting him. And Mark Evershed was the one who introduced me to Mo. And I remember meeting Mo, and, and it was like, wow, I didn't know what to do with this guy. Mm-hmm. He was just so – first he starts telling me just straight away, I'm the best ball striker who ever lived. There's no one who's on par – it probably wasn't his word – with him and Hogan. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do with someone who was so forthright – but also, I could tell that this was a person who just didn't, wasn't just cut from the same cloth as most of the people who've excelled in this golf world. So it was, I didn't know really what to do with him. And, but my main feeling was compassion. And I played golf with him. And it was amazing to watch, but I also had a lot of sadness. And I guess where I'm going with that is that, that that's what a lot of the intrigue with Mo is, is that, wow, I mean, this guy was able to do this stuff, but wow, yeah, he, his clothes should have been burned, um, you know, rather than laundered. Because there but was- if I may, you know, what you're saying, I think, is what is a great description of the fascination of Mo Norman isn't just this golf swing. It's this character, this, you almost not, you feel sorry that the, he didn't have maybe the success he deserved or his genius deserved, but a lot of it had to do with you know, the kind of uh, person he was. Todd Graves has a uh, website. It's really something else. Graves Golf is uh, where you go. And uh, under that, it says the Mo Norman Single Plane Authority. And uh, I, I've looked at your site a bunch of times, Todd. And, and, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, I was getting to be really cold here. And I, I decided to watch whatever that PGA Tour event that was on in uh, Mayacoba, Mexico. And the first guy I see, Todd, is Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, yeah. And the first thing I think of is, I wonder what Graves thinks of him. And then I go to your site, and there's a comparison of him being a super single-plane swinger. What do you think What do you think Mo Norman would think of Bryson DeChambeau? I think he'd love it. I think he'd, he'd almost be saying, I told you so. <laughs> And and uh, I, th- I think Bryson does so many things that are, are Mo Norman like, and he's he's eccentric, you know, like Mo w- it was considered. And I, I think Mo would love it. I think Mo would be be saying, "Hey, there's finally there's somebody out there that's 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 doing it." And um, I think he'd, be, he'd he'd love to see it. You know, Todd, the way the announcers in in the on the tour talk about DeChambeau. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it's like. It's like they're, it's similar to the when they used to, I used to remember when they talked about Jim Furyk. They just can't seem to get their mind around yeah. the idea. In fact, there, this, this term came up a couple times in relationship to the way he is, is putting. He does this sort of straight up and down and he anchors it against his, you know, the inside of his forearm. But they kept saying, you know, even though it looks awkward, it's, I guess, effective for him. And I was thinking, you idiots, this would be effective for anybody. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't does that frustrate you when you hear that? 
I don't have an answer for that because I've been I'm in that world. I've been dealing with that for as long as, as I've had my teaching organization. I've I've, I've been dealing with that um, the PGA and and that that just complete denial of maybe a better way. And and it's there's so much convention and so much. Um, uh, everybody teaches the same way, and, and they don't look for a possible better alternative. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 happening to Bryson. It doesn't help that he's so eccentric as well, though, because he's an eccentric guy. Tim, have you seen some of the interviews with him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Different cat. It doesn't for sure. help. It doesn't help that he's kind of a uh, an eccentric guy. I like I like it, but it does that doesn't help the situation, you know. And well, part of the 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 reason these guys excel so much, I believe. Is it comes from their eccentricity, and that they're not afraid to be different. They've arrived at their swings not from a place of I need to fit this certain model or whatever, or think from a thinking place. It's more they developed it from a place of intuition and what they what they felt about their swing. You mentioned earlier, or maybe it was um, Howard, but like how did he become so great? And I think it's because I think that Mo Norman listened to his body. And he was. You want to talk about an aware golfer? He he was. He's probably the model for it. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he set the club, you know, a foot behind the golf ball. Well, there's a reason for that. And all the things that we, that the PGA and and those guys consider idiosyncratic, that mm-hmm. that they're even talking about Bryson DeChambeau and the idiosyncrasies of his motion and his setup position and all that. Those idiosyncrasies are what are making this thing, making it easier and better, and more in, in a simpler way to do it. They just—it's it, so different than what they have seen out there that they have to look at it from it's—it's it's odd and it's weird and it doesn't make any sense. And right. what's surprising too is that there was a shot that Bryson hit in this tournament I was watching last night, and I—I I don't know, it was like a little uh, 85, 90 yards sawed off, you know, lob wedge or whatever he was hitting, and. The way these announcers described it, they go, well, you know, he doesn't really uh, break his wrist and whatever. And then they go and show the swing in slow motion where at the top of his swing, he, he, he cocked his wrist slightly. Like They made it seem like he was swinging it like stiff-armed back and stiff-armed through, and it was nothing like that. It's almost so – it's strange to me because, again, here in Canada, and, you know, I've – we're sort of versed a little bit in Mo Norman. I mean, you two are obviously ex- exceptionally so. But there I'm watching these guys trying to describe Bryson's mo- move, and they don't even see it. They're not seeing that motion. They're not seeing it because they're so locked in a paradigm of Blinkered. there's one way to do yeah, this. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. th- that is the thing that, uh, Todd, is that both of you and I have talked about this a lot, is that People are are really blinkered by their own experience, and and they filter it through what they believe is the paradigm. This is what you must do. And so much of it is uh, these must-dos aren't based on, I think, empirical evidence. It's based on a lot of assumptions. Oh, this is what Hogan said he did. Hogan said he turned his hip to uh, left to start the golf swing. No, he didn't. He moved forward (laughs) first, and then, you know, so... So much of it is based on just very blinkered uh, thinking that's based on, from this paradigm that doesn't move and that these people have the answers as opposed to there being people having their own experience. Yeah. Well, and, and I've, had, I've had to turn to a lot of science and my own research to validate a lot of what Mo did. That's, that's one of my defense mechanisms to 
and offense mechanisms to mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, look, look at the evidence here to show you the science behind Mo swing, as opposed to saying, hey, look, just look at his simple mechanics because people people can't see it, and you have to show them a lot more than just just the the the, the evidence on video, which is there, but they just don't see it. If they're blinded by the, so much experience watching other players, and and I and I tell them, you know. Look, you watch the PGA Tour players, and you see these guys, and they're great golfers, but they're really not that great of ball strikers. They hit good shots, yes. They play great golf, yes. But go watch them day in, day out, hit the golf ball. And then if you would have seen Mo Norman, which you can't anymore, you would have been surprised at how great a ball striker Mo really was compared to what you see out there. But mm-hmm. they just don't have that experience. So you have to give them a different way to look at it. So, so Todd, why don't we just kind of tell some stories here for a bit to, so that yeah. people who 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 may have heard about Mo but maybe didn't see him um the stories that that are told about Mo so about actually how really good he was and Todd I love the story that you tell about the very first time you saw Mo at an exhibition you traveled up to Chicago uh you had to wade through uh Jack Kirkendall giving this boring thing about natural golf and then here comes Mo, tell us yeah. what. Tell us about Mo's first few shots and your reactions well, you know, to them. What's funny is everybody has their. I think everybody has their first Mo story. You know, the first time they never saw him, and and when I, I had I had known about Mo for a couple of years. I think I think I had known about him even before then, but I thought he was just this myth. I, mean, I didn't think he really existed. And then, <laughs> yes. and then I was I had to uh, I had to an opportunity to go to uh, Chicago and see Mo actually perform a clinic, a live clinic. And so when I got there, I, I had been practicing his swing, what I had seen on video for about a year before I got there. So I just, I was so excited to actually see him hit balls in person. So Mo gets out there and, you know, and I see this, this guy and anybody who saw Mo for the first time, you know, you're, you're like, this, this guy with his clothes didn't match. Really? He's these purple <laughs> pants and this green shirt. And he he looked like a Christmas tree walking out there, you know, and and he, he just has he lays his clubs out on the ground. They're scattered out everywhere on the side, and and he's hitting off this this, this driving range wasn't the greatest place in the world. And he throws the balls out there, and he there's a 50 yard sign, and it's you know it's sitting out there, and it's a little maybe two by two little sign sitting out there in the middle of the range, and he hits the first shot, and it bangs off the sign, and then the second shot bangs off the sign. And then the third shot bangs off the sign. And then the fourth shot goes kind of underneath the sign. I mean, there's right at it. And I'm like, wow. I mean, it was just, just little shots of like, wow, that's, that was impressive. And then he just keeps hitting these shots, just dead straight, just bullets. I mean, and it, what was so impressive about it, and look, I've played with so many great golfers. I've played on the Asian Tour. I've played in college. I've played with guys like Todd Hamilton and that's David right. Toms and all these great players back in, in kind of my day. And... I watch Mo hit balls, and I'm like, none of these guys hit it as good as this guy. And he proceeds to hit these rockets out there, and, and they're just – what was so impressive was two things. The sound of the ball, the way – it was just so – hit so cleanly. And then the flight in the direction of, of basically having no side spin, which you rarely got to see in golf. If you ever watch enough golfers, you hit – you've seen a good shot, but the ball's always curving one way or the other. He's hitting it perfectly straight. And, as he, and towards the end of the demonstration, there was this three-inch metal pole with the number 250 on the top. So it was a 250-yard pole out there. And that was, the pole was probably three inches wide. And he was hitting drivers. 
And as the ball is coming down, you, about every one of every ten shots, you'd hear the ball, the, the thing go ding. You would hit the ball. <laughs> and so I was just I was just shocked. I was just in it at the at the direction, the flight, and this the the lack of curvature on the ball is the perfectly straight shot. It was just the most impressive thing I've ever seen, and, and mostly I was impressed because I had seen so many good ball strikers, and no one could pull that off. And he was, and the conditions were terrible. I mean, it was the range was terrible. It was we were pouring water on the ground to try to get it soft enough because he couldn't take a dip. It was such a hard range, <laughs> and so hot in Chicago at the time. So I mean, it was just amazing. I was just it was a, it was a total it was a great experience. Uh, I have a couple questions for you. You said you'd been trying to emulate him for a year before you saw him. And then when you see him for the first time, did you did you think, oh, my gosh, I could never learn to do that? Or were you were you fairly close? Had you seen some good results yourself, even though you'd never seen uh, it in person? Well, I, I you know, my experience was I had been working with a really well-known golf instructor for three years prior to that. So I had been fully enveloped in the conventional golf m- methodology. So a teacher of the, major the champions in the world. <laughs> You're so not gonna name Do you not want to name the teacher you were with? It doesn't matter. I mean, Hank Haney. Hank, Hank Haney. Oh, I've, heard, I've heard of him. Uh, he had yeah, some been, students. Have heard of him before? So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, and I see this. So just to back up on the story, uh, a friend of mine brings this videotape to me, and, it has, and he's been playing the Canadian Tour, and he became friends with Mo. His name was Matthew Lane. And Matthew says, you've got to see this guy. He's a freak. So he puts this video in, and it's Mo. And, and I heard of Mo, but then I see this tape, and he goes, Todd, he goes, you don't understand. This guy, how he hits it. He goes, it's freakish how good it is. And I'm watching Mo, and I'm like, well, that swing actually makes a lot of sense to me because the stuff I had learned conventionally was all about swing playing. Well, no one played it better than Mo. If you watch the way he aligned the club in a dress and the way he took in the backswing, I'm like, he is pure relative to playing. So I went out literally the next day, and I started kind of emulating what I saw on that videotape. And i got to tell you, I immediately got better. Because I, it, it helped me get the club back to impact on the plane, whereas before it was it was the two plane conventional thing, and I, and I was like I immediately started sort of getting a better feel for getting the club to impact. I started getting better immediately, just from what Mo did at address, and so I practiced that for a year. And what, what happened was when Mo after Mo got finished, um, I I go Mo, do you mind if I hit a few? Because we're all standing around and there's all the balls were everywhere and Mo was done and. I go out if I hit a few of your clubs, and I pick up this sledgehammer of <laughs> he had, and uh, and I go, "You mind if I hit your club?" And he said, "He said, sure, sure." And I so I grabbed this club and I hit a couple of shots. He goes, "Looks like me without a belly. Looks like me without a belly." So wow. I done it enough so that he kind of looked at me and said, "Yes, you know, you look close to what I'm doing." And then the guys around me kind of picked up on that, and I got the nickname Little Mo from that minute. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was going to ask you about that, that, that you were so into this that you weren't intimidated, or I imagine it might have been a little intimidating saying, you know, hey, Mo, could you watch me hit a shot kind of like you? But he recognized right away that you'd put some work in and, and that yeah. you were at least on the, on the similar path. Do you guys yeah. get the feeling, and I've never asked either of you this, but do you get the feeling that Mo wanted others to follow his lead, Tim? Or did he care about that? Because I know that part of his I'm the best ball striker that ever lived uh, mantra, but did that mean like an other comma, other people should swing like this or he didn't care? Um, I thought that Mo really did care a lot uh, that he was respected. But I think that the what 
Mo lived in a universe um, of insecurity and anxiety. And I think that what Mo got from golf was a sense of peace and that he was connected to his golf shots and he was so into his body and in a safe place. I think that's largely why Mo did anything. So you don't think that part of him was, have, was was there, as a what do they call that in the Bible? The proselytizing. He wanted to to have others join him, or did he not give a crap? Todd may disagree with me, but I don't think that Mo um, wanted the rest of the world to to take on what he had. I don't think that was a driving force with him. I you know I know that from time he would say to me from you know I've got the I got the best move best move you know. Everyone else, too many moving parts, and but I, I don't think that was a major driver for him. What do you think, Todd? He, it's funny. Um, you got to be careful when you listen to Mo, especially on some of the stuff. I, I, I hear it all, and I and I, I. By the way, I'm a collector of all this stuff. I try to gather as much information as I can. And you'll have one one time where Mo saying, "So it's so simple, simplest move, so simple." And then someone asking, "Well, should you, should I try this?" No, no, you shouldn't try it. No, you can't do it. So you know, you, you got this. You got Mo, and I, I don't think he. I don't think he thought about it. I exactly. think that exactly. it was his uniqueness. He, he, I don't think he knew he, his swing was that different until we started pointing it out to him. <laughs> I think that he thought he was different. I thought that, that people treated him differently. But I don't think he really knew that much about his golf swing. And, I, and I'll argue that point to the, to the effect that I would show him his swing on video or I'd, sh- I'd show him pictures of his swing or I'd show him and he'd go, thanks for telling me, now I know. Thanks for mm. telling me, now I know. And so I don't think he knew it until we started pointing it out and th- it, yeah, that, he, that he was that different. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I think that really that's where I started in writing the, the second edition of the book. The Feeling of Greatness, the Mo Norman story? That one. Mm-hmm. I didn't even understand what Mo meant by the feeling of greatness. When, when he – we had an exchange – I won't go into the whole long story, but he told me that he had the feeling of greatness. This is in 1995. And I went, bam that's it. That's mm-hmm. the title of this book. So I used that, and then as the years went by, I went, what does that mean? I mean like, whoever says feeling of greatness, you know, maybe Shakespeare, but um, I didn't really understand what it meant. But as I got deeper into it, more discussions with Todd, with some of his really close friends like Mike Martz, I started to get it a little bit more. And I got a sense that what happens, like golf is not an intellectual thing that we do. We don't think our way through a golf swing. It's a it's a feel. Mm-hmm. And Mo got great feelings why he hit the shot. He didn't have a way to explain it. And I don't, and great, I, I think, Todd, you can chime in here, but I don't, I think when we start to think of the golf swing in words and things that we do and describe it, that's when we can't do it. It's more of a sense of, of just feel, feel the body a, do it, I'll be into recently, it. I'll tell you a recent experience. So I took that concept, that feeling concept, and I produced a product called Inside the Single Plane Swing. Cool. In other words, dive inside and feel it. And I produced this product this year, and it was, it's been one of the most popular products I've ever produced because I focused not on technical stuff. I tried to interpret that from a what does it feel like perspective. And I got a call from the Blind Golf Association. Fantastic. Now, get this. That's so they cool. teach blind golfers how to play golf. And they said it's the only product they can relate to because somebody finally talked from their perspective. And I thought it was fascinating. And I'm going to dive into it further because I think all golfers are blind. 
because they can't figure it out mm-hmm. because they're not focused on the internal part of what a golf swing should be like. They're also focused on the external part of it. It's, a, it's been a fascinating uh, experiment for me. Our guest so cool. is uh, Todd Graves. You can go to Graves Golf. Um, I noticed you have a, some other product and training items as well, Todd. I'm sure you'd like people to look at them. Well, everything that we have, I mean, we've got so many instructional videos, but, but we have training aids, and everything is designed to, to teach the single-plane swing of Mo Norman. So everything we do, is, is, it's based to really help you, whether you're teaching yourself the swing or we have obviously golf schools and training programs as well if you're willing to travel and come see us and we have online coaching programs as well where you can reach our reach out to our coaches and we can train you right through online that we can use technology and really make a lot of progress and another book in learning and another life. book um hey uh todd Written by you and me i can't let that go so yeah. are you guys writing another book no we wrote we put out a book a feeling of greatness uh, play better oh, the golf. single better the swing yeah, yeah. i've got that yeah exactly yeah play well, what's the title of our book Todd? <laughs> that's how yeah. you know you're with an author oh, i've got so many books sorry single playing golf swing play better golf the mon Norman way okay Thank I, you. <laughs> listen uh, todd graves uh, i got a couple of geek questions uh well one is about just, well, this isn't that geeky a question. If somebody's listening to this, and, and I've been dabbling. I mean, I don't know if I've ever told you, because you know, Mark Evershed was my instructor for a long time. That's how I, the, my first introduction to Mo Norman was, I was on the range with sheds and working on my golf swing as I did in the day. And all of a sudden, Mo Norman wandered over and I was just freaked out. Like, I was completely intimidated. And over that summer, he saw me enough that I became more comfortable with his presence. My question to you guys is, how, if somebody listening now is a good player or they're a struggling golfer, either one, and they decide that, you know what, I'm going to give this Mo Norman Todd Graves single plane thing a try. Now, I notice you do schools. You've got a three-day school, a five-day school. What would you say to somebody listening and they said, Todd, okay, you got me. How long before I can start? How long before I learn this system to the point where I'm going to either equal my handicap or get better? God, that's the number one question I get. Yeah. How long is this going to take? How long is it yeah. going to take? Is this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If you do it correctly, I mean, that's the problem that most people don't train correctly. Even when they watch my stuff, they just don't. And it's, let's go back to that thing we just talked about, feel. It, you, it, you, you're trying to feel it. But you have to know that you're feeling the correct things. And that's sure. what really training and practice is all about. So if they do it correctly, it's a, it's a short period of time. I, I can transform somebody in literally two or three weeks if they do it correctly. But if they don't do it correctly, then you're going to spin in the, in the world of, of guess, guessing. And that's what the problem is. But wouldn't that be the same? And I don't mean to say this as I'm, you know, I'm not trying to criticize it. But that's sort of the same for anyone. If I said... Uh, you know, I'm going to teach you the Hank Haney method or the Ledbetter method. But yours is a pretty radical departure from any of those. Well, you have to look at the, just the basic fundamentals or an easier way to move the body. So just inherently in the methodology makes it easier. That's why, that's why the, it's just a simpler way to play, which makes it easier to learn. You still have to do it correctly. The problem is that most people walk in with so much conventional feel in their swing already. Mm-hmm. It's you got to give them all new feelings. And there's certain things that we teach. And I can I can I can interview my students in a group and say, what's the number one thing that that feels feels the the most different than anything you've ever done? And it'll be the address position, the, the bend, the amount of side bend we have at address because we have more tilt at our address. Mo is more 
tilted to the right at address. That's the number one thing the, the students will say. That feels the weirdest because the conventional swing, you're standing kind of straight up and down. And then those type of things are what are, are the things that must be correct. They're, they're what I call deal breakers in the Monarman swing. There's a number of deal breakers, and you can't break those things. But those things are the things that feel the weirdest to most of the golfers. So if you get those right, it's easy. But if you don't get those right, you're right back to conventional, and it's going to be complicated again. So if I come to your school, though, I, I come with my conventional set of golf clubs and hopefully an open mind. Um, how do you get somebody hitting balls? Do you use? Will they be using their own clubs at your school, or do you have to start getting, you know, sort of single plane friendly golf equipment like fitted? We we do fit clubs. Uh, most clubs need to be adjusted, uh, but but not necessarily. We'd have to check them. But the thing is, is we, yeah, you use your own golf clubs when you come here. We we have stuff if they don't if the clubs are bad enough they don't fit you. We put you into stuff we have at the school that will fit you. And um, and then we basically spend a day and a half not hitting golf balls and training the basics. Mm-hmm. So we don't start hitting balls right away. That's the worst thing you can do is get somebody on the range because they'll go right back to the stuff that they came with. You have to make those adjustments, and we spend a day and a half just doing training. Wow. Um, so we're not about ball-beating golf school. It's not about pounding golf balls. It's about learning a new, a new way of moving, and you have to do that without a golf ball. Yeah, so one of the key things that – so, Todd, I've um... – I've sat in on a couple of your schools, and the key thing that you really go through is process and learning. And it's so hard for golfers to let go of being results-oriented. Like, I remember a couple of guys, they'd be there and says, I hope this works. I've got a member guest coming up in two weeks. (laughs) And, you know, I just went, no, I'm sorry, that approach – of, you know, is this going to, am I going to apply this like taking a pill and is it going to work? Well, people don't learn that way. It's a, it's a process and it, it sounds Hollywood, but it's a journey. And I remember you, Todd, saying that if you really want, if you're really serious about getting better at golf, you'd actually stop playing for a while so that you could really let go of being so tied you know, emotionally and seeing the golf ball do certain things and, you know, applying it as a means to an end. What what happened, let me ask you this, Tim, what's happened to our, what happens as we get older that we don't, that we, we forget the element of time in the learning process? Because, you know, if you go to high school, why isn't high school two weeks? Yeah, why isn't it two weeks, Todd? Continue, please. I said, yeah, why isn't it two weeks? Um, well, why isn't college here a month and you, and you graduate? I mean, why does it take four years or whatever the certainty? I mean, to get to medical school, it takes eight, 12 years. My, my dad went to medical school for eight years. Well, why? Because it takes time to learn, and, it, and you have to have experience in that whole process, and you have to have you know, all those things it takes to actually create that, that new person because you're not the same person when you enter the situation as when you exit the situation. Right. You're recreating yourself. And the problem with, with people walking my golf schools, you got three days and they want to recreate themselves in three days and you and, and that it's still not enough. Three days is still not enough, but they, they, they want to be a transformed human being in three days. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to readdress as an adult and say, what what how do I recreate myself and what's it gonna take? And that's that's the process, you know. Tim, did you wanna comment or shall I? Uh, I, I wanna make one quick Okay, you do assertion. a quick one, and then I want to I come back to what Todd said, which I think, by the way, you golf nerds, 
Listen to Mr. Graves. That was a very interesting thing he said. It was, and and so I just want to leap on top of that. Go ahead. Is that what, unfortunately, I think happens with most adults is that we it's about results. Uh, am I, am I going to lower my handicap? Am I going to win the tournament? Am I going to be respected? What are people going to think of my emotion? As opposed to enjoying this journey of learning and, and the joy that comes from that. And it sounds really hackneyed and rainbows no. and unicorns, but unless you take a learning approach, you're not going to succeed, I don't think, at anything because you're going to be too mired in, in, in meeting parameters that are just not real. And so it's – the kids learn so quickly because they're not making judgments. They're just doing, yep. enjoying, mimicking and all that. Here's so. why. Hang on a second, Todd. My turn. Now, what Tim just said was brilliant as well. Oh, thank you. Here's the thing about the way grown-ups learn versus the way children learn it and is what you just said is uh, it's part of my sermon. It is. Uh, I've been saying this for years. The reason that most people resist change and learning can be changed. Like if you go to a Todd Graves school, you, you better understand that your golfing life will never be the same. If you're trying to get ready for a member guest two weeks you know, from the time you go there, that's not the right attitude. We all get that. But the reason most people resist change is because of this. They think they won't recognize themselves anymore. And even a small thing like showing somebody that's deep, but, but it's true. People are afraid of day one experiences because they think, well, if I'm not this guy anymore, who am I? And, and maybe that's something simple like learning a new golf swing, or maybe it's something simple like getting out of a, of a relationship that's no longer serving you. But the reason that people hang on, this is the point. Oh, and it's a good one. The reason people hang on to these things is because even in an abusive relationship, um, it's still, you, it's familiar. So even though your golf swing, now to lighten it up a little bit, even though you've been hitting this golf ball horribly for as long as you've been playing the game, it's still you. And if Todd or anyone else or Tim or I show you, listen, how many times have we all, I know for me, my brothers are legendary for aiming way right. They do it, a lot of golfers do this. But whenever I put my brothers in a position where they're, sort of vaguely aiming down the fairway, what do they say? Oh, this feels uncomfortable. They would rather aim incorrectly because it's comfortable. Now, why don't you guys just, you know, figure that figure that out. Well, the GSL, no, I, I, GSL, GSL has dropped. spoken. He's dropped a big one hang on, on his Todd. On, let me get he my... Did. Drop the mic. <laughs> Little happy tune. Todd, nice. what do you think of that? That people hang on to these uh, beliefs? Yeah. Because yeah. of the fact they're scared. Oh, it's fear. Yeah, it's absolutely fear-based. And, and I'll tell you what, in the process, because Tim mentioned this before, and, and to circle back to answer the question of how long does this take, it takes as long, it, it takes, you have to give your. how many times are you going to give yourself the best, the correct experience, so that's how long it's going to take. If you're not willing to give yourself the new experience, then you're, you'll never get it. And I guess that's the answer, because you have to be, step out of your comfort zone. Give yourself this new, uncomfortable experience, which feels bad. It feels weird. It doesn't feel right. you got to make sure it's the right experience. And the more you do that, the more that then you'll get that new experience and you become that new person. And, yeah, fear. People are so afraid of change. And we all are. I mean, I, I can look at experiences in my life as well. And it's when you finally make that leap of faith and say, and that's what happens in, in, in to answer your question in, in kind of a circular way. 
the question you asked before, how long does it take? It's the guys who make the leap. Because you mentioned before that, hey, I want to go try this. I haven't been able to get anybody to try it and have success. Because trying is one foot, one foot on one side right. where I can go back, and the other foot on, well, I can't go. I can't go. I'll try it over there. If it doesn't work, I'll come back. See, you're still living in that fearful environment. And the only people I've had true 1,000% success with is the guys who jump across and say, I'm in. I'm all in. Let's do this. Make me a single-playing golfer. Those guys I have tons of success with. And it's, it's the leap of faith. you got to take it. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I hope when you're in town, if we have a chance, Todd's going to be in Toronto filming this uh, documentary or getting some interviews for this documentary on Mo Norman's life. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm hoping that as time goes on that more people investigate Mo and, and your stuff and pick up a copy of The Feeling of Greatness, the new edition's out now. And uh, what, a, uh, what a pleasure to have you on the show, son. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Hey, Todd, it's been a lot of fun, man. Always, always great to always. Uh, talk with you, man. All right, great. Well, I'll see you, I'll see you yeah. next week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and if you need me to come down to some of these schools and just spout off uh, you know, some golf spiritual leader stuff. You're invited. Dude, I got all that. I got all that. You're invited, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you after the show. We'll, we'll, we'll get you down there. i got to tell you one thing you just said that I, I want to I just give a little bit of air before you say so long is what Todd just said about people leaping in. And leaving the leaving the way they did it the old way behind is really the pathway to success. And I would say if you're going to go and check this out, you know what do you got to lose really, other than your shitty golf swing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, like and, that, and and so many people listen and be like, yeah, I don't know. What if my friends made fun of me? Well, suck it up, son. So your friends will go, wow, you see, oh, what do you think, you're Mo Norman? But eventually, when you hit it down the middle and put it on the green and they're in the woods, they'll go, um, how do I sign up for this? <laughs> I'm, I agree. All right, man. I agree. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Todd. Todd Bye. Graves, the uh, Todd Graves Golf School, gravesgolf.com uh, is the uh, place to go, and you're going to... Well, what, what is your actual website? Is it MoNormanGolf.com or Graves Golf? You can go either way, but MoNormanGolf.com. You'll have to get redirected on Graves, but go to MoNormanGolf.com, and that's, that's the best way to get there. All right, man. What a, what a pleasure this guy has been. All right, Todd, take care. Thanks. All right, see you. Bye. There's Todd Graves. Now, I just want to spend a couple of minutes, by the way, amazing, amazing, because you're going to go, I want to talk about where you're going to. I'm, I'm jealous, actually, now that I think of it, because you're going to go hang out with Fred Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. But I did want to tell you something that uh, I've discovered. You know, I was uh, in a bit of a bad way there in September. And now on the 10th of November, I've just spent the last month and a half just loving golf again. Uh, nice. Golf and I are buddies. Again, that's so, that's so good. Now I love golf now. Um, <laughs> you know what I've been doing uh, over the last couple months? Uh, I think I mentioned it on the show. I should have mentioned it to Todd because I think it would be a valuable thing for people to do. This is another GSL learning moment here? Yes. You should have music for that. I have music. Sorry. That's transition music. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Hang on. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Okay. okay I think I mentioned this on the show. That's but spiritually I, uplifting music. I'm I ready. got this from Jonathan... Wallet, I believe was his name, the guy that I met in uh, Scotland. Scotland. Right. 
And he told me to do this, and I did it a couple times. I just played around with it. But now I've done it pretty consistently for a couple months. It's going to sound ridiculous. But I've, I've been learning how to hit a golf ball left-handed. I'm getting pretty good at it. Love it. Love it. Every time I do it, and I did it this week, I was playing around on the range with my buddies, and I took out a left-handed eight iron, and I can hit a draw now. <laughs> it's ridiculous to me. Oh, that's awesome. But, I, I get, and, but here's the cool thing about it, and this is the learning. And he told me to do it and then report back. And I think I mentioned it on a previous show that what you learn from it is how much fun it is to just be crappy. And, you know, you hit some shots and they're no good. But it's the, 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 the learning was to learn to, to see how uninvested you can be. So if you're a right-handed golfer and you start hitting balls in the range left-handed, I have no uh, skin in that game. So it's just pure fun. And I hit a lot of horrible shots. And every once in a while, I'll hit a flush one and I'm like, Cool. Wow. Right. And it's really kind of bled into my, it's, it's reminded me that that's what the game is. Sometimes you hit some good ones, you hit some bad ones, but it's the lack of investment. And being okay with it. Thank you. Yeah. It really is a, a nice physical exercise to remind you your mental approach to, that that's really the significance of any golf shot. And I can't tell no, you. Yeah, exactly. What difference is it going to make in the world? There's no if, difference. And even if you lower your handicap, what is that going to do to the world? And, and yeah. But it's the it's the idea that it's the the joy that I get from hitting balls left-handed is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I just love it. Well, you were the man who inspired me for a few things that I introduced to uh, the University of Guelph golf team, which, as our listeners will Are you, recall. Were you the head coach of that team? Yeah, I was the head coach Congratulations. of that team. Anyways, Griffins. a couple of things that we did this year were based on things that we talked about on this podcast. And one was that I had my players all go onto the range and if and just basically hit from the other side. So right-handers hit left-handed Beautiful. and left-handers from the right side. And basically it was around can you just hit shots and enjoy it and have some fun? No and, judgment. Exactly. And just let it go. And so so the learning from that is can you take that freedom, that mm-hmm. fun and also, there's some good learning, some really great body awareness there as what's happening as they're swinging on the wrong on the other side. Can you take that into the rest of your game and thus be not as attached to the result? Yeah. Can you actually be with the process of hitting a shot as opposed to being in the future of is this going to go in or is this Well, gonna- I, I think as a tournament player, too, especially for your kids and guys like me, it's the... When I hit balls, and I did the other day, I was, I was hanging out with this uh, very interesting character. We should get him on the show. But he's got a, an indoor teaching school. He's from Scotland, and he's got a real different mental approach. Anyway, Who is it? Who is it? The guy's name is Paul McGinnis. Okay. Um, but we were just hanging out talking. I was introduced to him by somebody who's a fan of our show. And I was in his little area, and he has. Uh, so I was just talking to him, hitting balls left-handed. And what I love about it is I have absolutely no – and i got a huge ego, as you know – I'm broken man that I am, but but I have no Better ego. Than most. Better than most. Yeah, I have no ego around my left-handed golf swing. <laughs> and what I found when I do that, I just I get I'm reminded that it's just all of this is for funsies. And so I was out with Stan a couple days ago, and I was just hitting you know my little eighty-yard wedges over there where we go for our walks, and I was just noticing that I could hit any kind of shot and not really instantly judge it. Yeah. And it comes from doing these left-handed swings because it's reminded me that none of it really matters. And, is, and when I, because I used to, I think a lot of golfers are like me. When we hit a bad shot, 
part of our brain and our judgment is, oh, no, what if I only ever hit bad shots? Exactly, exactly. But hitting them left-handed reminds me that, hey, there's another ball on the way, and who knows what will happen. (laughs) But the fact that I skull a lot of them and I miss some of them, I literally will miss a shot. I get swinging hard, I miss the ball. (laughs) But it makes me laugh. And I was sort of reminded with Stan the other day, I was like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be just one ball doesn't mean that the rest of your life is going to be a failure. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds deep, but that's what I think a lot of us do. We think, well, I've hit a bad shot. I'm a bad person. I'll never get any better on and on and on. And you listen, you, you know, this a thousand times better than me. You know what men are like in terms of our sort of judgment vortex. Oh yeah. And golfers are like that. Once we start to make a judgment, then we see a line that stretches back to our whole life. And that's what I think is unique about golf is that we have uh, we we hit a bad shot and then it just triggers us. Yeah, the I remember Todd. You mentioned something. Uh, you mentioned something about I forget exactly what, it, but Todd goes, "Whoa, that's deep." And people, you know, it's just golf. But oh yeah, it's just golf. And then why do they react so crazily? No, the thing that the, you guys that then I've had this long held belief that. People resist change because they figure they're not going to recognize themselves. That's right. That's right. So what's interesting is that is that what you talked about was so much about the. So when people react, that's something that's that's deep in their unconscious. That connects to you know again deep childhood wounds, mm-hmm. memories, uh, getting beat up in the schoolyard, not being able to just be able to do things perfectly, and having dad look down his nose at you. All that stuff comes into play in golf. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. There's something that we challenge by golf to try and get over over these things and and work with them. That's what draws us to it. So, so there's joy, and there's and there's challenge. But what's what's really interesting is that if you can just be with the experience, and that is hit the ball where to go. Who cares really? Because everything the way we see the world is just a freaking hallucination. Yeah. Really. It's just our oh, ego. Oh, that's not too deep. Yeah. Well, are you on mushrooms? Who are you, Tim no, O'Connor? Actually, I'm getting ready to go to the Fred Shoemaker Golf School. Yeah, wanna, I wanna, we, uh, let's carve out a – got about uh, six or seven minutes left. So okay. let's make sure we carve out some time for the Shoemaker School. By the way, this guy that I met on uh, Monday, been to the Shoemaker School, loved it. Same as you, did a sort of the coaching uh, version of it. Yeah, yeah. So what I mean by that is that we all – we our experiences – we filter everything through our own experience. So, right. So 10 people can go through an experience and have 10 different interpretations. So really, the way we respond to things, and it's, it really is just a hallucination in our mind and yeah, how, only- how, we, how we judge it and react to it. And so is it, wow, most of the stuff that we really invest ourselves in, identity, you're saying that people resist change because they won't recognize themselves because they're so... There's so much of their life and their energy is built up to defending this image of themselves and who they are and how others view them and how they compare. And if you don't have exact – if you don't have this exactitude about yourself, then you're not able to defend yourself and create this image that you want yes. to be seen. And this is why hitting balls left-handed or right-handed if you're a left-hander, um, is it, it'll, it'll quickly remind you that – it, none of it really matters. And, and, exactly. when you, and when you have nothing invested in, it, in an activity, like hitting the ball the opposite way, when there's nothing invested, you realize, oh, it kind of gets stripped down to just 
I'm just trying to hit this. And how much can you learn? By the way, uh, the guy's name isn't McGinnis. It's Paul Cummings. And okay. uh, he's the guy we got to get on. Um, be, listen, I want to move this uh, along because that's what I do. Uh, let's talk about the Shoemaker School. And the next time we do this podcast, you're going to be like this uh, super mental guy. You're going to be all shoemakered out. I don't think I have a headband. Yeah. So the, uh, the Shoemaker School, one of the things that we first uh, clicked on, you and I, is our love of all this stuff. And, you know, we started talking about books we've read. And one of the first ones that came up was the, um, what's it called? Extraordinary Golf. Extraordinary Golf, which both of us had read uh, separately before we, we've, in that dark time before we knew each other. <laughs> so what is the school? It's four days of, of sitting on uh, pillows, Cushions. Cushions, uh, yeah, yeah. smoking a hookah pipe. That's it. While sitar music plays. Yeah. And Fred Shoemaker comes floating on a, on a cloud. Yeah. I think there's catharsis and we puke into a bucket. Love that. Yeah. That's my daily. Okay. Um, it's a, <laughs> the Extraordinary Golf Coaching Workshop, which I think they hold once a year in North America and then also in Europe and mm. different places. And, um, yeah, those who are coaches. Here's the music. That's it. I thought you could play something George Harrison-like. I was trying trying to find some sitar music. And now Mr. Shoemaker will walk into the golfing arena. So they do these schools. Can I touch the hem of your garment? It's a four-day school? Uh, Three, actually. Sunday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. Amazing, dude. In Palm Springs. I'm going to Palm. I'm getting on a plane to Palm Springs tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you you know, we did have winter here for a couple hours this morning. So it's good to get out of here. It's going to be zero tomorrow. So Yeah, Monday, seven, playing. Tuesday, seven, playing. (laughs) Obviously. So so that would be... Whatever. I'm so jazzed to go because I've... um, you know, people who have been listening to this show hear me say Fred's name about every second show at least. Uh, I've been to a number of his different his workshops. Um, yeah, I just really Sorry, I was going to say, I've been, doing, resonate, a, I've been resonate. doing a show for 30 years where I say a guy's name, Fred, almost every sentence. That's right. Um, no, I know you're jacked about it. And, and what do you hope to learn from it? Um, I, Not that you have any expectations, but what is, what is, what come, what, what do you get at the end of a shoemaker coaching Will it just be there to, to see in person some of the things that we've read about? or I think it just be a lot of it will be just going a lot deeper into a lot of the things that, I'm, uh, that I've been working on for a number of years. I think a lot will be, be about self-coaching, um, how, how to help my students, uh, whether they be kids I coach on the golf team or, or clients I have, how to be really more present to – to what they're experiencing when they're trying to hit a golf ball and, and, and what's going on. Just a real deeper dive into a lot of these things. Things like being able to trust in your body, being able to allow your, you know, see, say, be on a green with a ball and a hole. And rather than being invested in, oh, I hope this goes in, or what did I do wrong? Better keep my head still. Mm. Just having, like, where is our... Can we just be aware that there's the ball and there's the whole, and then like really allowing our body to do it? That's the stuff that really fascinates me is being able to is get out of this mind uh, that has stories, that has judgments, that uh, worries about things, and finding way to just go more directly to what you might call source and allow this innate 
brilliance that every human being has and let that free to do its thing. And I really believe that in all things that when we just let go and get the hell out of our own way, then we can do absolutely amazingly brilliant things. So I just want to go deeper in all that. Well, listen, my brother. I, uh, I felt that that was quite a... That was beautiful. That wasn't a GSL-level thing, but... So, I, hey, listen. You, I felt... You, you, listen, I, do this. You've spoken. Just just be uh, be okay with it. Yeah, I was okay. Don't I need felt, to explain it. I felt peace and equanimity and... So, basically, yeah. you, you you took your shot. Now we have to hear about how you took it. It was fine. It was, it was fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. I'm going to edit this whole part out. Great. You oh, were wait, great. wait. No, not this part. Not the, the part where you were like talking about what you just said. It was perfect. Um, well, I'm I'm very we don't excited edit this for show you. either. So, well, I'm going to edit this part out now too. Ah. <laughs> uh, I wish you uh, all the best. Have a great trip. Thank you. And uh, for you swing thought kids, we'll be back in a few weeks. We'll uh, find out all about Tim's adventure, and hopefully he'll be able to pass on some things. I can't wait to hear what you've learned. It'll be fun. Uh, Tim O'Connor at uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Humble and Fred Show. Go uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, our Swing Thoughts uh, Facebook page. You yeah. know, wouldn't be the worst thing you did. And go to iTunes and subscribe yeah, if you don't. On. Rate, review, give us some feedback. Yeah. So we can get better. Yeah. So give us some feedback so that we're not sitting here giving ourselves feedback. Uh, until next time, uh, we will see you later. Bye. Bye. Yeah.